Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. Well, thanks for the welcome. Um, it's good to be back. Um, we did spend a good year here. Um, me and Gwen on, then Aira arrived midway through um, in January 2016 when we were here. Um, so it's really nice to be back again. I think the last time I was here, it was just after the floods had hit Llandesil uh, um, and we were looking for a new building um, to meet. Um, and yeah, by the grace of God and the generosity of God's people, um, we have found a, a lovely home in the heart of Llandesil. Um So thank you ever so much to you as a church that helped us um, with finding that building and being able to create a space for the people of Llandesil, um to come and hear about Jesus and uh, yeah, know him and love him. So we're really grateful um, for your support and it's really nice to be here. Um, today. And I'm going to just speak today on this short passage from Galatians um, and something that God has has challenged me with, but also comforted me um, enormously with. Um, I don't know how often you read your Bible, but often when we do open the Bible and we read God's Word, we can be hugely challenged but at the same time, there's overwhelming comfort. Have you ever had that feeling when you're reading God's word? You're like, whoa, this is challenging. But boys, back, this is comforting. This is good news. Um, so that's where we're going today, hopefully. And we're going to speak a bit about this new identity that we have as um, people that follow Jesus, um, that have put our faith um, in Jesus. And I think it's an important thing. Our identity. Do you, do you often ask questions like, who am I? What, what am I doing? Is my life worthwhile? Am I doing something significant? Significant has become a significant word over the past few years. Everyone's talking about significant things. And it leaves us questioning, am I doing something significant? Am I part of something significant? Who am I? What am I doing? What is my life all about? And I remember as a, a young boy um, growing up in North Wales, I used to follow Pontypridd Rugby Club. Now, some of you, some of the younger guys, you're like, what? Who are they? Well, let me tell you guys, they are a wonderful rugby team. They were the best. The best in Wales, possibly Europe. But I used to go down, oh yeah, you're all scarlet and neat and swansy down here, aren't you? Oh, gosh. Anyway, I used to go down to the park as a 10-year-old boy, and I used to practice my kicking off the tee. And I remember I used to follow Neil Jenkins, everything that he did in a run-up to a kick, I would want to do. So I didn't buy a kicking tee, I used to take sand down the rugby pitch. So I took my cup of sand, I placed it on the floor, and I would 
line the ball up just as Neil Jenkins would with the valve pointing up and the line of the ball pointing towards the middle of the posts. I'd place it down, left foot in front of the ball, right foot right behind the ball. I would take three steps back. The screen allows me to. Two to the left. And then, many people didn't know he did this, but he would just make sure there was no tuft of grass under his studs. I would throw it away. And I would set myself for the kick. And I used to commentate Neil Jenkins for Pontypridd. Will he make the kick that will secure the win over Hinehi for the first time in seven seasons? And I used to do this by myself down the park in Hyansanan because as a young boy, this was important to me. I wanted to be someone. I wanted to be something. I wanted to live a significant life. I wanted people to shout my name as I played rugby in front of thousands of people. It didn't happen, but there we go. That's another story. Did I make the kick? Well, it depends, really. You know, Hansanan football ground wasn't known for the best surface, so I often blamed, you know, it's just a bad surface. If only I was, you know, down the Millennium Stadium or Sardis Road, it'd be okay. I wouldn't slip, I wouldn't mess it up, there wouldn't be as much rain, the roof would be closed and so on. But do you... Do you have those feelings? If only I could be dot, dot, dot. If only I could be different. If only I could live someone else's life. You know, being honest with you guys, I've often thought, if only if I just had a bit more money, a lot of the stress and the, the anxiety on finances and my marriage worrying about how we're going to pay for stuff, you know, that would go away and things would be better. I've often been in Chandessil and thought, this is tough. This is, this is hard. People don't want to hear the gospel. It, it can be difficult. And there are days where I've thought, well, why don't we move? We, we've honestly said this in the past couple of months. Why don't we move to the north of Spain, to the Basque country, and help some friends that are planting a church there? And we're often thinking, are we, if only, if only I had a bit more of this, a bit more discipline, a, you know, an ounce of this, a bit, then things would be okay. I don't know if you've ever had those feelings. If only things were different. And maybe, even in your spiritual life, in your walk with God, maybe you've thought, like I have, if only I could read my Bible a bit more. If only if I was better at prayer. If only I could play the guitar so I could worship some more. And we think to ourselves, if only, if only, we, this question on our identity, who are we, is an important one, I think. And we're going to look at Galatians 2, verse 15 to 20. Because God's spoken to me from this passage recently and he has challenged me enormously but there's been overwhelming comfort because often in my walk with Jesus I'm asking oh, if only I could do this if only I was better at this 
but I forget something so fundamental and important about the good news. Did you know from page one to the last page of your Bible, God is bringing light and order to darkness and chaos. If you read Genesis 1, you'll see from darkness and chaos, God brings light and order into creation. And then Jesus comes as the center point of this whole Bible story, the main character, the one it's all been talking about. Jesus comes into a dark world, into a chaotic world, and he takes the poison of sin and human rebellion. He takes it away. He he gets crucified on a cross. He dies, taking away that darkness and chaos. And on the third day, he rises again, bringing life and victory and order. And then on your last page of your Bible, you'll read about God coming again down to this chaotic and dark world, and he will make all things new. Things as they have been will be put away, and he will create all things new. He will bring light and life and order into our darkness, into our chaos. And I forgot that. I thought it was down to me. I can bring light and life and order to my life. If only I try harder. If only I get some disciplines right. If only I do more, I will bring light and life and order into my life. But I forgot something that was so foundational to the Bible story. From page one to the end, God is the one that brings light and life and order into a chaotic and dark world. So hopefully, as we look at this together, does that sound okay? Sorry, we haven't even got to it, but you know, we've only spent 10 minutes. Let's read and let's pray. Galatians 2, 15 to 20. We were not born as non-Jewish sinners, but as Jews. Yet we know that a person is made right with God, not by following the law, but by trusting in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we might be made right with God because we trusted in Christ. It is not because we followed the law, because no one can be made right with God by following the law. We Jews came to Christ trying to be made right with God, and it became clear that we are sinners too. Does this mean that Christ encourages sin? No, but I would really be wrong to begin teaching again those things that I gave up. It was the law that put me to death, and I died to the law so that I can now live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is the verse we're going to learn, and this is the verse we're going to look at today. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one that brings light and life and order into a dark and chaotic world. 
into our dark and chaotic worlds. I pray that we, as, as we read your word and study your word together this morning, that we will leave challenged but comforted by your love. We would leave with a peace that transcends all understanding and a new hope and confidence in the good news about Jesus. Amen. Amen. So three things about our new identity we're going to look at from this verse. It's done. It's real and it's personal, okay? It's done, it's real, and it's personal. Our new identity. I have been crucified with Christ. Before we get to that verse, just quickly, just the context of what Paul is writing about. What's the argument he's building here? And in six verses, Paul says seven times, he emphasizes seven times that keeping the law will not make you right with God. What it will do is highlight that we are not perfect. And we cannot reach the perfect standard of who God is. Holy, blameless, perfect. And Paul says six times, seven times in six verses, you need to hear this. Following the law will only highlight that we cannot come to God as perfect and blameless on our own accord and in our own strength. When, uh, when we were in Ammonford, me and Gwena had been married three years. And, you know, maybe we were still in that honeymoon period where everything was great. And, you know, you know we could see some faults, but, you know, you don't mention them, do you, in the first years of marriage? And, Everything's great, but the second we left Ammonford, all of a sudden, my towels were never in the right place. I don't know if it was the new house or just getting used to married life, but my towel was never where it should be. And every day, Gwen would remind me, Steph, your towel's on the bed. Steph, your towel's on the floor. Steph, your towel's hanging over the door. It needs to be on the towel rail. And for years... She's been telling me, Steph, your towel needs to be on the towel rail. And for years, I've been putting it on my bed, on the floor, over the door, because, you know, I'm always in a hurry. I haven't got time to put it on the towel rail. And as I was thinking about this, I was just so thankful that my relationship with Gwenna isn't based on law, but on love. Something more than rules. Because if Gwenna wanted me to keep every rule in order to be her husband there would be no chance. Day in, day out, it would be highlighted, Steph, you will not reach the standard. But our relationship is based on love and not on law. And this is what Paul is telling the people. Your relationship with God is based on love and not law. All the law will do is highlight your need and highlight that you're not perfect, that you can't reach the perfect standard God sets as he tells the Romans, we've all fallen short of that standard. It's based on love. So that's what he's been building up to this verse. And now he tells them, I have been crucified with Christ. 
it's done. I have been crucified with Christ. He writes this in the past tense. I have been crucified with Christ. It's the first Sunday of Lent also. Some of you may know. And in the church calendar, Lent signifies that we are starting to prepare for that big week in Jerusalem where Jesus rode in on a donkey, where he rode in on the way to the cross. And on Good Friday, we will remember Jesus' death on the cross. And as he died and gave his last breath, Jesus said something so profound that Paul is picking up on here. It is finished. I have been, past tense, crucified with Christ. What Jesus did on the cross, one moment in history, has implications for Paul in that moment. For the church in Galatia, years later. For us here, a millennium And more later, when he uttered, it is finished, he was announcing that he had taken our sin, our darkness, our rebellion against God, our imperfection, and he took the punishment. He took it all and he said, it is finished, it's done. I've taken away your guilt and your shame. It's done. And Paul is telling the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. There's something that Jesus has done that has implications for me now today, for us as a church, for us as God's people. It's done. Our sin has been dealt with, has been removed from us. Our guilt Our shame in front of God, a perfect, blameless God, is done. It's done away with. I have been crucified with Christ. I had a meeting this week in Pont Abraham, in Costa, of course. You know know it well, I'm sure. And um, as I was standing in the queue in Costa, God spoke to me. Because I was standing in the queue and I'd left the house that morning and for some reason I thought that this meeting was so important, I couldn't be late, I had to be there, but my kids had decided they weren't going to go to school today, they weren't going to put their clothes on, I'm not wearing my school clothes today. And I was thinking, I've got a meeting guys, I'm going to be at that meeting You are going to school. And honestly, I wasn't a good dad that morning. I shouted at my boy and it broke my heart. And I was standing in the queue in Costa thinking, I can't wait to go home and make it right. I can't wait to go home because I shouldn't have spoken to him like that. And God spoke to me and he said, the words in 1 Corinthians 13, Love keeps no record of wrong. 
Now stand the imposter, overwhelmed by God's love. Love keeps no record of wrong. And I had this huge list of everything I had done wrong that day, that week. And I was beating myself up about it. And it was affecting the way I was living because I was stressed and anxious about everything I had done wrong. And God said, love keeps no record of wrong. And Paul, when he's speaking to the Corinthians about love, how how can he write about love? Because he knows the source of love. He knows that God is love. So when I thought about those words, I could just put in there, God keeps no record of wrong. Because it's done. I have been crucified with Christ. It's done. And I suspect there are people here this morning that are like me, You've got a list for yourself of all the wrong that you've done. All the guilt that you're feeling this morning. All the shame that you feel for for the things you've done wrong. For the times you've messed up. In your family or in your work or as you've walked down the street in Ammonford. Or as you've barged in in front of someone in co-op. And you're keeping this list. And then you've got a list for everyone else and everything that everyone else has done wrong to you. And this list is probably bigger. But in Costa and Pont Abraham, just down the road, God said, love keeps no record of wrong. It's done. I have been crucified with Christ. That's real love. That's freeing love. Having that forgiveness and experiencing that love didn't make me want to go on sinning or being a bad dad when I got home. But that freedom brought a desire and a passion in me to show that love to my children, to my family. I have been crucified with Christ. Love keeps no record of wrong. Why don't you turn to the person next to you or behind you or in front of you and just tell them love keeps no record of wrong. They need to hear it this morning. Go on, tell them love keeps no record of wrong. It's done. It's done. I have been crucified with Christ. Love keeps no record of wrong. And as I was praying and as I was driving down this morning, I was thinking to myself, we've got a good news. The Bible is good news. God's love is perfect and pure. He died and bled on a cross for me. And I can say confidently with Paul, with the Galatians, it's done. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It's done. Quickly then, just the last two, it's real. Have you ever had the feeling that, why isn't the good news that I believe working in my life? I believe this up here, but it doesn't seem to be having an effect here. And you've slipped back into something that we've already spoken about, where, yeah, I believe that the cross, that faith in Jesus is the only thing that makes me right with God. But from that point onwards, it's down to me. It's down to me to try harder, to be more disciplined, to give it my all. And just being so distraught and broken when you realize you can't do it. And I love this next part. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Didn't Jesus tell his followers on the way to the cross that a life of following Jesus is picking up your cross and following him? And in this verse, we see that daily we need to remind ourselves it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. For us that have put our faith in Jesus, he gives us his spirit to live in us. And we need to constantly remind ourselves and each other, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul speaks about it in in different places in his letters, like being a new creation, a new person. And this is what he's getting at. Once we put our faith in Jesus and been filled with his spirit, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And when those temptations come to turn away from God, to give in to sin, we need to say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Because God's word has power. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And when the tempter and the deceiver comes, and there's a voice in your head saying, you're not really changed. You're not really a good person. You're not really a follower of Jesus. Look at your life. Look at the list that you have. You can say, do you know what? It's done. It's dealt with. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So flee from me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And finally, it's personal. It's for us as God's people, as the church, but it's personal. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's personal. God loves you. God wants to deal with your list of guilt and shame and wants to free you from fear and guilt and that cycle of trying and following the law, whatever that law may be for you. He loved you and gave himself for you. This isn't just a 
a concept or a theory that's good in a book or good for the church generally, but it's personal also. It's for you. It's good news for you personally. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been challenged this week, or these past weeks, to have this verse on my mind and in my heart. And in the darkness and in the chaos, I can confidently say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because God is the one who brings light and life and order into the midst of our darkness and our chaos. We can try to bring order ourselves, to bring light and life ourselves and generate that positivity or that good outlook on life. But often we fall flat because we've forgotten something so fundamental to the good news. From page one to the last page, God is the one that brings light and life and order to this world. And he will give you rest. I was thinking as I was coming down and praying for this morning um, in the car. I don't want you to go away this morning with a concept of peace with God. With an idea about peace with God. I don't want you to sit there and listen to these verses and hear about this new identity, new life in Jesus, and think, Steph, you know nothing of my darkness. You know nothing of my chaos, of my situation. This is a nice theory, but I don't feel it. I don't see it. I was thinking about that verse, and I don't know where it is, and I don't know if I'm saying it right in English. But God wants to bring you a peace that transcends all understanding. In the middle of the darkness and the chaos, he can bring peace that makes no sense. And this isn't just an idea about peace. It's a person of peace, a prince of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace and he loves you and he gave himself for you. This isn't a concept. This is a person. This is a relationship and a life of peace that transcends all understanding. So as we close now, Let's just take a moment, close your eyes if it helps. Be still, be quiet. And bring your 
darkness and chaos and struggles and anxiety towards God. Bring your heart as it is before God. Thank you, Lord, that you know. You know the struggle, the pain, the anxiety. You know the darkness, you know the depression, you know the chaos. But from day one, you've been bringing light and life and order. And in Jesus, we see the one who came, who died for us. The one who took the poison of sin away. The power of death was taken away. The light of the world. So we come to you, Jesus, our King, our Prince of Peace. And ask that our new identity would be so sure our confidence will be so sure in you, Jesus. And that we would know a love and a peace that transcends all understanding. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Spirit of God, will you fill our hearts? Would you bring peace and light and life into situations of darkness and pain and suffering? And we praise you, Lord, that we look forward to a day that is promised in your word where you will come again, where you will create all things new, Things as they were will be done with. Pain, suffering, anxiety, tears will be done away. And we will love in perfect peace forever. We will live in perfect peace with you in the new heaven and new earth. Oh, we thank you, Lord, that this is good news. Good news for us, good news for the world. We thank you, Lord. We praise you that it's done, that it's real, and that it's personal for each one of us who puts our faith in Jesus. Dear Jesse. Amen.
We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. And we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.